Hello, I'm Wayne, and this is my Iron Maiden podcast, sponsored by Horlicks. Multi drink to help calm me down if you've got sleep issues or anxiety. On these shows, I look at the songs of Iron Maiden and how they influenced me as a boy growing up in 1980s Birmingham. Sometimes I've changed my opinion and realised I was a bit silly as a boy. This week, I'm looking at Two Minutes to Midnight, which is track two on the Power Slave album. Last week, I looked at Aces High, which opens the album, and had some feedback on the show, as usual. Mainly, people were complimentary about the dance moves that I came up with. I mentioned them on the show, but I posted a video of me dancing to them on social media. Ian Static 1812 says it was inspiring stuff. And someone called Shayla van der Ent said that she couldn't stop watching it, even without the sound on. And that just shows the hypnotic quality of the dance choreography. You may remember I did some moves for Wrathchild, but these were developed when I was a boy. The moves for Aces High I came up with last week, so I think this is good, and it shows that I've still got it when it comes to creating dance moves. So maybe I'll do some of these again in the future. Alejandra said it wasn't choreography, but actually a full workout. And this is good, because I'm looking to do this more as well, because in 2021 I want to get fitter, in case Paul Diano turns up and wants to go jogging again. I want to be able to keep up and ask him questions. Since putting this episode together, Someone called Mike Warren has posted a clip of himself performing this dance on Twitter. And it's amazing. He's performed these moves in very difficult conditions. It's a wet and muddy surface. And he claims he created a mud bath while doing it. It's also performed on a Sunday afternoon where most people have had a hefty Sunday lunch. So to do those moves on a full tummy is equally impressive. So well done, Mike. Not everyone was happy with the episode, though. Mark Kelly said... He doesn't tune into podcasts to listen to a grown man making farting noises on his armpit. And he was disappointed with this because he wanted to hear more insights about Aces High, the song. So I'm sorry about this. I'm sorry if anyone else was offended by these noises. Anyway, I'm looking at Two Minutes to Midnight this week. And it's track two, as I've said, following Aces High. And these two songs are often side by side when performed live. You've probably heard them on a few live albums. The reason these two songs go so well together is because the themes are quite similar. But also, the note that ends Aces High is the same note that starts Two Minutes to Midnight. And this is an A. This may not technically be correct, but it sounded right when I played it on my Fisher-Price piano. You may remember that last week I said that Aces High was the 20th most played song live by Iron Maiden, and I was surprised by this. So bearing in mind these songs are often together in the live set, You'd expect Two Minutes to Midnight to be around the same place, wouldn't you? But actually, Two Minutes to Midnight is the sixth most played song live. And that's because it's more adaptable in the set. They can put this in in a few places. The song title, Two Minutes to Midnight, is a time of the day. A bit like half past four or a quarter to five. So anyway, uh, 20 to eight, there's another one. Um, There's not many songs with times of the day in. I can think of just who is the five o'clock hero. By the Jam, um, of course, 2am by Iron Maiden, um, or an hour later, 3am Eternal by the KLF. But I'm not here to boast about all the songs I know with times in. Two Minutes to Midnight is quite specific, and actually, it's similar to a Blondie song, which is one minute to midnight, but they called it 11.59. So that's interesting that once again, the career of Iron Maiden and Blondie are linked. You may remember they were both on Top of the Pops in 1980 
when Iron Maiden performed Running Free. Following this, Blondie appeared on The Muppet Show, and then Iron Maiden decided to do the same. But unfortunately, this wasn't known until last year, and in fact it still isn't widely known. I think it's quite nice when songs are named after the time, because you don't often say the time out loud anymore, because people don't seem to want to know what the time is, because it's easy, because it's on their phone, so you don't get people coming up to you in the street, do you, saying, what's the time? So actually, you probably haven't said two minutes to midnight out loud very much, unless referring to this song. I used to like asking people the time. In the 1990s, this was a chat-up line of mine. I'd go up to a girl, and I'd say, have you got the time, please? Sometimes they'd tell me the time, but other times they'd say no. Occasionally, girls would just carry on walking, ignoring me. It was quite a good conversation starter, but I didn't know how to follow it up once they told me the time. Sometimes I said thank you, but, but then they'd already walked off. A few years back, I went online dating, and once again, I found it quite hard to start conversations, even though they weren't there in front of me. You had to write them a message. There were a couple of girls I liked, and I started sending them a message, and I did try the famous line, have you got the time please? But then I thought I'd better delete it because I don't think it works in the internet age, does it? Because they probably just say, look in the bottom right of your computer. Instead, I used Google to help me format some sentences and phrases that would look good to these girls. I talked about my interests and their interests to make it show that I'd read their profile. I looked at transferable skills. It's a bit like a job application. And then when you get successful, you wear a suit to the interview. But in a job interview, you don't take flowers. Anyway, this isn't a podcast on how to get dates, although that'd be quite interesting. Maybe there is one, and maybe I'll listen to it. But for now, I'm talking about two minutes to midnight. And in this case, the song isn't about the time, literally two minutes to midnight. It's about the doomsday clock, which is set every now and again, when it looks like the world might end. So when it gets to midnight, nobody will know, because the world will have ended and will be dead. When Iron Maiden wrote this song, the time on the doomsday clock was three minutes to midnight which was the closest it had been to midnight since the 1950s, when it was actually two minutes to midnight. What are the time is now on the doomsday clock? Let's have a look. I've just noticed by putting in Google that it's spelt differently to the doomsday book, so there's no link between those two things. But anyway, the doomsday clock is currently it's quite 100 seconds to midnight. So that's 1 minute and 40, isn't it? So it's a bit closer than it was in the 1950s and in the song. But if someone wrote a song called 100 Seconds to Midnight, it's not very catchy, is it, the sound? As you'd imagine, because of the title, the song's about war and power. And I think the song's against it, because it talks about the greed and how the rich benefit from it. The song starts with the lyric, Kill for gain or shoot to maim, we don't need a reason. And that sets the tone for it. It looks at how wars are intended to solve problems, but they just create more problems, because when it's finished that the area is damaged and takes time to recover. I think some of these themes are relevant today because we've still got powerful and the rich controlling things. And maybe investing in things that aren't good for the planet or for, or for society. We're still spending money on nuclear weapons and this is quite a divisive subject. But I don't know why we're doing it because if someone presses the button, even if we press the button to retaliate, everyone's dead anyway. I'm no politician, but maybe we should spend money on other things. The song starts with quite a standard riff, and you can see why it was a single, because it seems quite basic. It was written by Adrian Smith and Bruce Dickinson, and Adrian Smith revealed that the song just took 20 minutes to write. This seems amazing, 
but I don't believe it's true. He says that he was just noodling about with a guitar in a hotel room and Bruce Dickinson was walking past. Apparently, Bruce Dickinson came in, started listening and had some lyrics that he just put to it and there you go, there's the song written. I wonder how they can say that they got all the drum parts and Steve's bits done unless everyone's turned up in his hotel room. But I can't see Nico looking his drum kit up a flight of stairs just to jam about with a new song in a hotel. I believe it just took them 20 minutes to do the basics the verses and the choruses, and then they got all the extra bits done in the studio when they're all together. As I've said, the verse is quite standard, nice pace, and, and the lyrics and the melody go well with it. I really like the bridge section, where it seems to slow down a bit, and after each line, there's like this fill with the bass that's, that's really nice. Listen to this. The chorus is, is alright, it just says two minutes to midnight. And again, there's those harmonies that we've had quite a lot lately. Um, it's a single, so you want it to be quite catchy. But uh, I don't think these harmonies are as good as Ace's High. I wouldn't say it's cheesy, but the fact that they're just saying the title doesn't make it that impressive. As I've said, it was a single. And it was the first one off the Power Slave album. It entered the charts in August 1984, and it was in at number 27. This wasn't bad, just outside the top 20, alongside songs like Time After Time by Cindy Lauper. Whoa, said the ting, it's Nico! Here we go, whoa! Then you say, go slow, and I fall behind. A second and I'm wanting If you lost, you can look and you will find me Time after time If you fall, I'll catch you, I'll be waiting Time after time If you lost, you can look and you will find me Time after time If you fall, I'll catch you, I will be waiting Time after time He rose the next week to number 11. I'm talking about the UK charts, of course. And this matched Flight of Icarus from the previous album. So that's quite good, but just outside the top 10. This eventually would be the highest it did get to. And at this stage, it was George Michaels at number one with Careless Whisper. You may remember that when Ace's High was released eventually, a couple of months later, that Wham were number one with Freedom. And I mentioned this last week. So imagine Steve Harris's face when he realised that George Michaels had beaten him to the top for two singles in a row. Although, of course, there were several other songs in between. But I imagine he was still quite annoyed that they'd timed their single releases to coincide with the success of George Michaels and Wham. Let's see if he mentions this in his diary. Steve Harris's diary Steve Harris's diary Steve Harris's diary August 1984 I'm leaving about top of the pops We told them we wouldn't perform two minutes to midnight on the show and so we gave them a nice video to play instead They put us on after Agadoo by those cheeky scamps Black Lace I'm not impressed It's bad enough that Two Tribes was on the week before Everyone will think we stole their idea and all 
There's too many war songs at the moment. I reckon for the next two albums, we'll go for different themes, so nobody will accuse us of nicking things. Bruce was a bit annoyed about the video. He wanted to do some acting. I'm not having it. I just want to be seen on stage on my bass guitar. I ain't playing no part. We're not Marillion. The old slavery tour started in Poland. I tried to learn some Polish to fit in with the locals. I saw this woman at the bar with a dragon tattoo, and I said, Smok, because that's Polish for dragon. It's a bit like smoke, so I can remember that. Then she comes up and gives me a smacker right on the chops. Turns out smock is also the word for a kissing sand. But this starts with a C. I'm not going to bother from now on. The band are all having a right laugh behind me. Bruce was in tears. Tears over a dragon. It's Dave Harris's diary. It's Dave Harris's diary. It's Dave Harris's diary. The single sleeve for Two Minutes to Midnight is quite a good one, and not one you often think about when you think of the classic covers of Iron Maiden releases. Eddie seems quite shadowy in this, and uh, normally you sort of get that impact, don't you, with their sleeves? Eddie's the the centre of attention. But in this, he isn't. This was the first hint of what he might look like for the new album, because his appearance had changed quite a bit over time. Here, he's bandaged, he's got like an eye patch on, and he's smoking, sitting on a tank. So this is a clear reference to the theme of the song. And he looks like he might be bald again, like on the Peace of Mind album. He's pointing at you. Yeah, you. Not me. Well, he is pointing at me if I'm holding it. But anyway, he's pointing towards the person holding the sleeve, as if to say, you. And I don't know if he's pointing the finger at the people behind the wall or whether he's pointing the finger at us, saying that we can stop it. Maybe it's like a reverse message of those Your Country Needs You posters that were trying to get people to enrol for the army. Maybe this is like the opposite, saying, you can stop this. But I don't know. Behind him, there are several flags. that are all countries that had recently been involved in wars, or in some cases still were. On the back of the sleeve is a photo of the band, and they're lined up against a wall with blindfolds on. And they're half naked. I showed this to my mum, but she wasn't interested. I'd like to thank Sean on Facebook for reminding me of this photo. He mentioned this a while ago. And uh, yeah, I'm glad I'm looking at it now. So it looks like they're about to be met with the firing squad. And they're lined up against the wall in height order. Adrian on the left, up to Nico on the right. And this is how we used to line up in PE when they used to pick the teams in basketball or football. We used to do it tallest to shortest. I was sort of in the middle, but I had a growth spurt later on, but we stopped doing PE then. I noticed that Bruce had the longest hair, then Steve, then Dave. And unlike the number of the beast insert sleeve, I didn't need a ruler to work this out. I could just see it. I noticed also that the hair length was directly proportional to the amount of chest hair on display. Some of you might question this in case there's an issue of perspective and maybe some band members are stood slightly behind the other. But I think they're all quite in line, and I believe that the chest hair difference is quite obvious. As a boy, I was quite fascinated with Bruce's hairiness, and I noticed this on some of the calendars of the time, where there'd be pictures of him with his top off, or with shorts on, so you could see how hairy he was. One thing that was quite unusual, I thought, was that on his arms, he had hair on his lower arms, and none on his upper arms. And I wondered if this was normal, and I wondered if, when I was a man, this would be the case whether it was just some strange condition. As a boy, I also noticed 
that Nico looked quite strange. His tummy seemed quite odd. This is because the waistband on his jeans is quite high, so you can't see his belly button. I thought this might be because he was embarrassed of having an outie. I had an outie belly button at this time, which caused some embarrassment when I got changed with a school class at Stetford Swimming Baths. It didn't help that I wore Y-fronts instead of boxer shorts. In case you don't know, an outie is a belly button that sticks out. And it's a bit like the bottom bit of a balloon in texture and appearance. I think boys get innies later in life when they become men. I've got an innie now in case anyone's interested. But I won't be sharing any photos of this. I do have an innie. As did several of the band in the 80s. I guess they still do. I think Dave looks the coolest. He's in good shape and he's got a cigarette in his mouth. It looks like Nico's got a cigarette as well. But I think this is more like a, a match or, or like an ear of corn. It looks like Bruce might have been wearing Gola trainers like I had in the 80s, but I imagine he wasn't. They're probably Adidas, but I just couldn't see the third stripe. And they were called Adidas in the 80s. There wasn't any of this Adidas nonsense. Maybe it was just called Adidas in Birmingham. I don't want to focus too much on this picture, like I did with the roast dinner picture on the piece of mind sleeve, but I found it was worthy of comment. As Steve Harris mentioned before, they played the promotional video on top of the pops, which was a bit different to their usual videos. Once again, the band appear in it, performing on a stage. But this time, they're interspersed with a story featuring actors, rather than a film from the olden days, like previous videos. It starts off with a headline about stolen missiles. Then you get loads of official-looking men in, in offices. And, and then there's some menacing-looking men who are hovering about with mist around them. A maid opens some curtains. I'm not going to do a full synopsis of the video, frame by frame, but I thought I'd point the maid out because Maid was number nine in my list of uniforms for the Women in Uniform episode, but I only did my top three, you might remember. So I never said what my top ten was, but Maid was there. But actually, I think if I did the top ten today, it might have slipped out. It might be number twelve now. The Maid's clearing away some tables, where there's some televisions, and they've all got that snowy picture which you used to get at the end of the day when all the programmes had finished. You don't get that anymore, do you? Sometimes those tellies showed the band performing which we also see on the video later. They're wearing vests and t-shirts, so it must be quite hot. They're not wearing waistcoats or leather jackets, like normal. Nico's wearing something that I don't understand. I think it might be a jumpsuit. When you see the maid crying at the window, you get to see her face. And I think the maid is Neil out of the Young Ones. The actor Nigel Planer. I've got no evidence of this, it's just what I think. Essentially, the video is just about some men trading arms illegally. Powerful men giving arms to some ragamuffins off the street who live in a, a squat, it appears. Apparently, this squat was a, a location found at the Isle of Dogs. And Bruce Dickinson claimed he used to live there. So I wonder if this is true. One of these official looking men is wearing a suit, of course. And on the cuff of his shirt is the Eye of Horus, which is an Egyptian symbol which appears in a lyric and on the sleeve of the Power Slave album. So this was a nice teaser. And I don't know if the artwork had been revealed yet, so I bet fans are wondering what this was, this symbol. It's a strange video. I don't know if I like it or not. I think it's dated a bit. There's some men in a tunnel playing on a computer, and that computer's got green screen. And you used to get an Amstrad with a green screen. You could get it with either a green screen or a colour screen, and obviously the green screen was cheaper. Luckily, Michael Patterson round the corner. He had a colour screen for his Amstrad. But once Trevor spilled some pop on it, we weren't allowed to go and play on it anymore. One thing the video does show, which is quite interesting, is 
the new tattoos on display from the band. Dave Moore's got a tattoo. And Steve Harris has now got the Trooper tattoo. I can't remember that far back. This might be the first time we saw these on display. They didn't have these tattoos at the final show in the World Peace Tour in 1983. So they must have had them done in between December 1983 and now, August 1984. Maybe they had them done on Dave Morey's birthday. I think when you consider the song's theme, it's quite dramatic and intense. I don't think the video really complements it with that sort of acting display. When it builds up after the solo, I want more urgency. And it's just a bit tame, I think. What is interesting, though, is that they didn't edit this solo when they did the single release. And it's over six minutes, which is quite long for a single. In fact, Iron Maiden's longest single to date. The solo is, to me, one of the highlights of the song. It's so familiar now, it doesn't feel this way. But to me, it sounds like they're just sort of jamming a bit. Sounds like they just came up with it on the spot. That might relate to the 20 minutes thing that Adrian talked about. But as I say, it sounds quite natural. It doesn't sound planned. And even though I've heard it so many times, I think that's still the case, which is to its credit. It's that classic thing of one guitarist doing a bit and then the other guitarist taking his turn. And I like that. As a boy, I didn't know about the doomsday clock and about the sort of nuclear power thing. I just heard two minutes to midnight and thought it was a time of day. I often wondered what happened at two minutes to midnight, if it was some sort of magical time. I was trying to stay awake till then to see what would happen. I went to bed at eight o'clock then, after EastEnders. And in the summer, it was easier to stay awake because it was still light outside. Sometimes I tried to read a book to stay awake or eat some fruit pastels that I sneaked into my underpants drawer. But I always fell asleep. I couldn't have the light on or my mum would shout. When I did finally manage it, I was a bit older and I was in charge then of when I went to bed. I like the fact that the clock on the video in the front room said 23.58. I like the time on the back of the Somewhere in Time album sleeve. It was a bit disappointing, as of course nothing happened, but I think I was 15 by then, so I probably knew it wasn't a time when magic would happen. Okay, I'm going to give Trevor a ring now and see how he feels about the song, see what he's been up to. Hi, Wayne. Hello, Trevor. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. I saw your dance routine on the internet. It's quite good. Yeah, thanks. Have you been doing it? I, I haven't seen you in your garden. Well, no, it's been a bit cold, hasn't it? But I've done it in my living room, tried to do it anyway, but uh, I developed my own bit. So with the rolling and the diving, I did actually roll over and dive on the floor. I didn't stop like you did. I tried to take it further, make it more extreme. How did that go? Well, it would have been good, but it's a fast song. So when I did the rolling, I sort of got stuck in the roll because I did like a forward roll. Oh, OK, well, well, maybe with practice, you can you can get there and, and maybe upload your own clip. Yeah, maybe. So two minutes to midnight then. Um, is this one of your favourites? Yeah, it's a good song. I don't think you can deny it. I think uh, it's got what you want for a single and a song. It's got a catchy chorus, sing-along. It's a popular song, played a lot live. And it continues the momentum on the album. Aces High started off and then straight into this. I like it. So I've not focused much on the lyrics, knowing that um, you might do that because they're quite descriptive. And I know you've mentioned Bruce Dickinson's lyrics before. Yeah, they are. They are good. And um, I think it's one of those songs where you hear it a lot. So you forget some of those little details. You sort of take them for granted. As a boy, I probably sang along without realising the power of the words. Because really, it's like a jaunty melody, isn't it? It's a sort a milkman might whistle on his morning round. Shall I whistle it for you? No, thank you. Yeah, the lyrics are quite hard-hitting. Some of those images, the body bags and napalm screams and jellied brains. It makes you feel angry at powerful people. 
Um, there's a lot of that at the moment, isn't there? Powerful people you get angry at. People in charge making bad decisions. Yeah, okay. Well, I, I don't want to get into that because um, I'm sure there's that sort of things happen throughout society, hasn't it? It's not just now. But you're right, because of that, this song and this theme is probably relevant whatever the time of day is or year. Yeah. I think it's quite interesting that they use food to put a point across. Remember, they say they're feasting on meat and gravy. Now, this is good, but when I use food in my poetry, I get criticised. Okay, Trevor, What um, maybe yours is... Maybe not as appreciated. I mean, Iron Maiden's audience, maybe not everyone likes the meat and the gravy reference. Maybe they were sort of reacting to criticism over the peace of mind sound. No, I don't think so. I remember I used to be quite scared of the, the notion of the jaws of the war machine feeding on babies. That sounds terrifying, like scary robots. But then when I grew up, I realised it was not a literal thing. It's like a theoretical, maybe metaphor. Okay, well, um, I'm glad you like the song anyway. That's good. Um, so have you got any poetry for us this week uh, once again mixed reviews of your last one some people said it started well and then I think the rice pudding perhaps got, got people a bit annoyed yeah well hopefully this week will be, will be a bit more positive ok well do you want to do your two minutes to midnight poem ok here it is I've had a wonderful evening is that it no no, no sorry Wayne I was it's getting a bit emotional then. How come? Is it? What, is the rest of the poem quite... Yeah. Hang on. I've had a wonderful evening, but I'll have to say goodbye. Your purple nails are my green shell suit bottoms, and I'm scared of where this is going. It's two minutes to midnight. I don't want you to turn into a pumpkin. So I run away and treasure what can never be forgotten. Okay, is that, is that it then? Yeah, that's it. And you're emotional about that? Yeah. Didn't you get it? Well, I think I understand it. So you... Well, although it's quite strange. Why is it? Well, you... So it sounds like you were in an encounter and then you sort of cut it short because you didn't like where it was going. No, I did. But I, I was just worried it would affect things. Sometimes you've got to know, haven't you, when to say no and when to sort of keep your restraint. I didn't want the moment to be tarnished. I wanted to leave it to be special. So it's a bit like that game you mentioned last week. You stick or twist. But I stuck because I thought if I pushed too far, I might go bust. Hang on a minute. What, what are you on about? I thought you just... I don't... Can I... I understood that this was about you with a girl and you, it's just getting late, so you just sort of say that you got scared of where it might go, so you ran off? Well, that's sort of right, but there's a bit more to it than that. If you imagine the emotion and psychology behind it all, it's not its not just simple as that. But the memory could have been more special if you'd hung about. Not necessarily. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you might be right. I was more inexperienced in the ways of love then. What do you mean, then? Well, I think... Whatever your views, I think it's good to stay in control, isn't it? Not not get carried away with your emotions. Who was this girl? Belinda Hargreaves. What were you doing? We were sat on a wall eating chips. How did this happen? Because I don't remember you speaking to her much. Did, did you sort of ask what the time was or something? No, that doesn't work. I just said, can I have a chip, please? 
What did she say? She said yes. Then what happened? We were just sat by a bus stop um, for, for most of the evening and we weren't catching a bus. It was quite exciting. Okay, so anyway, I think... So you mentioned you didn't want to turn into a pumpkin. I'm, I'm guessing that's a reference to Cinderella or something. Uh, didn't Wasn't it the coach that turned into a pumpkin? Well, it's just a reference to magic and fairy tales. That's how it felt on the night. I don't have to explain every line, Wayne. I think people can read into it how they like. Okay, well, next week is uh, Lost for Words, which uh, coincidentally is how a lot of people feel about your poetry. I think that's a bit unfair. Anyway, so yeah, if we can get a poem for that. I'm not sure how next week will look, actually, because with it being a song without lyrics, it might be a bit different. It might be quite hard to sort of talk about. Um, I know I've done instrumentals before, but uh, I might uh, might ring you in the week, Trevor, and have a chat about you. Yeah, that'd be good. Maybe I could be on more often, maybe throughout the show, like the Christmas special. Okay, well, maybe, maybe, maybe not. Um, but I'll, uh, as I say, I'll, I'll let you know. And uh, thanks for the poem and the insight. And, uh, yeah, speak to you next week. Okay, thanks, Wayne. Bye. Okay, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Wayne Maiden. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and I've got a Ko-Fi page. And if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, please click like or follow or subscribe or whatever it is that's featured on your podcatcher of choice, just so you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you're feeling generous, why not leave me a review? That'd be nice. Um, Five stars is preferable, but I accept four stars. I always find it hard to, to rank Iron Maiden songs in five stars because if I give it five stars, that suggests it's the best and there isn't a song better. And I don't know, as an example, where would I put Two Minutes to Midnight if I gave it five stars? That suggests that there's no Iron Maiden song better than this. And I disagree with this statement. But if I gave it four stars, that might sound a bit harsh. I think four stars might be right, though. Um, but then I'd have to sort of go through every song and, and do it as a comparison because it seems, no, I think four stars sounds right on reflection. Well, not much reflection, granted, but there you go. Maybe you think it's better than four stars. Four stars is eight out of ten, isn't it, if you do sort of double it up. Um, I think that's right, eight out of ten for two minutes to midnight. Anyway, yeah, uh, social media, I've had a few more comments and messages from people. Someone called Ian Mosley has asked, has my opinion of Nico changed at this point? Because in the Peace of Mind album, I said that he didn't really fit in and he had darker hair. And I even said he looked shell-shocked in some of the photos. And I'll say, yes, you're probably right. I think by this point, he's settled in more and he seems more natural. And this is evident in the, the video for Two Minutes to Midnight where he's sort of laughing and seems a bit more bubbly and lively. And of course, he's got lighter hair and that's how I see him, so... Maybe it seems more natural like this, even if he is wearing a jumpsuit and isn't showing his belly button on that photograph. I had a message from Steve Rothery, who uh, was interested in my experiences in the Lake District, and he says that he also discovered porridge in the Lake District. So that's a coincidence, isn't it? I've had comments about Trevor as well. Uh, Andrew Whitnell said he admired the passion that Trevor showed when he was talking about Birmingham in the olden days, and Corky enjoyed Trevor's reminiscence about cooking eggs to Aces High. Um, I think people are wondering, with all the skills Trevor's got, maybe he'll do his own podcast on cooking or, or Birmingham history. But I can assure you there's been no discussion on this because he's obviously committed to this, isn't he? And while some people might think he doesn't spend much time analysing the songs and doing poetry, I think that's enough for him. Although it's not my place to say, is it? Anyway, Two Minutes to Midnight, another classic song, even if I only gave it four stars. Next week we're coming to an interesting song, the instrumental, Lost for Words. So I hope we see you next week. And, uh...
for now I'll play out with two minutes to midnight. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye bye.